Some of this disappointment is neurotic. Sometimes I am too concerned about what others think of me, even people I don't know. Some of this disappointment, I know, is worse than trivial. It is simply the sour fruit of self-absorption. I attend a high school reunion and can't choke back the desire to stand out by looking more attractive or having achieved more impressive accomplishments than my classmates. I speak to someone with whom I want to be charming, and my words come out awkward and pedestrian. I am disappointed in my ordinariness. I want to be, in the words of Garrison Keeler, named Sun God, King of America, Idol of Millions, Bringer of Fire, the Great Haji, Thundar, the Boy Giant. But some of this disappointment in myself runs deeper. When I look in on my children as they sleep at night, I think of the kind of father I want to be. I want to create moments of magic. I want them to remember laughing until the tears flow. I want to read to them and make the books come alive so they love to read. I want to have slow, sweet talks with them as they're getting ready to close their eyes. I want to sing them awake in the morning. I want to chase fireflies with them, teach them to play tennis, have food fights, and hold them and pray for them in a way that makes them feel cherished. I look in on them as they sleep at night, and I remember how the day really went. I remember how they were trapped in a fight over checkers, and I walked out of the room because I didn't want to spend the energy needed to teach them how to resolve conflict. I remember how my daughter spilled cherry punch at dinner, and I yelled at her about being careful as if she'd revealed some deep character flaw. I yelled at her, even though I spill things all the time, and no one yells at me. I yelled at her, to tell the truth, simply because I'm big and she's little and I can get away with it. And then I saw that look of hurt and confusion in her eyes, and I knew there was a tiny wound on her heart that I had put there, and I wished I could have taken those sixty seconds back. I remember how at night I didn't have slow, sweet talks, but merely rushed the children to bed so I could have more time to myself. I'm disappointed. It's not just my life as a father. I'm disappointed also for my life as a husband, friend, neighbor, and human being in general. I think of the day I was born, when I carried the gift of promise, the gift given to all babies. I think of that little baby and what might have been the ways I might have developed mind and body and spirit, the thoughts I might have had, the joy I might have created. I am disappointed that I still love God so little and sin so much. I always had the idea as a child that adults were pretty much the people they wanted to be. Yet the truth is, I am embarrassingly sinful. I am capable of dismaying amounts of jealousy if someone succeeds more visibly than I do. I am disappointed at my capacity to be small and petty. I cannot pray for very long without my mind drifting into a fantasy of angry revenge over some past slight I thought I had long since forgiven, or some grandiose fantasy of achievement. I can convince people I'm busy and productive, and yet waste large amounts of time watching television. These are just some of the disappointments. I have other ones, darker ones, that I'm not ready to commit to paper. The truth is, even to write these words is a little misleading, 
because it makes me sound more sensitive to my fallenness than I really am. Sometimes, although I am aware of how far I fall short, it doesn't even bother me very much, and I am disappointed at my lack of disappointment. Where does this disappointment come from? A common answer in our day is that it is a lack of self-esteem, a failure to accept oneself. That may be part of the answer, but it is not the whole of it, not by a long shot. The older and wiser answer is that the feeling of disappointment is not the problem, but a reflection of a deeper problem. My failure to be the person God had in mind when He created me. It is the pearly ache in my heart to be at home with the Father. Universal Disappointment One of the most profound statements I have heard about the human condition was one I first encountered when I was only five years old. It was spoken by my hero, Popeye the Sailor Man. When he was frustrated or wasn't sure what to do or felt inadequate, Popeye would simply say, I am what I am. Popeye was not a sophisticated guy. He had never been in therapy and was woefully out of touch with his shadow self and his inner child. He did not have much education, as far as we know. He knew who he was. A simple, seafaring, pipe-smoking, olive-oil-loving sailor man. And he wouldn't pretend to be anything else. He owned his story. As Lewis Smedes puts it, I am what I am. But I always thought there was a note of sadness in Popeye's expression. It was generally offered as an explanation of his shortcomings. It does not anticipate much growth or change. It doesn't leave him much of a shot at getting to be what he am not. Don't get your hopes up, he seemed to say. Don't expect too much. I am what I am, and, he would add in his bleakest moments, that's all that I am. That is the sad cry of the human race. You have said those words in your own way, and so have I. This is the struggle between disappointment and hope. Disappointing God The word itself is apt. I am in a state of disappointment. I am missing the life that I was appointed by God to live, missing my calling. And I have disappointed God. I have removed Him from the central role He longs to play in my life. I have refused to let God be God, and have appointed myself in His place. I am what I am. But that's not all that I am. I am called to become the person God had in mind when He originally designed me. This is what is behind Kierkegaard's wonderful prayer, And now, Lord, with Your help, I shall become myself. This book is about spiritual growth. It is about that holy and mysterious process described by the Apostle Paul when he said he was in the pain of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. The goal of such growth is to live as if Jesus held unhindered sway over our bodies. Of course, it is still we doing the living. We are called by God to live as our uniquely created selves, our temperament, our gene pool, our history. But to grow spiritually means to live increasingly as Jesus would in our unique place, to perceive what Jesus would perceive if He looked through our eyes, to think what He would think, to feel what He would feel, and therefore to do what He would do.
The goal of this book is to help us grow spiritually. But it is hard to write about spiritual formation in a way that captures the urgency of the subject. Too often people think about their spiritual lives as just one more aspect of their existence, alongside and largely separate from their financial lives or their vocational lives. Periodically they may try to get their spiritual lives together by praying more regularly or trying to master another spiritual discipline. It is the religious equivalent of going on a diet or trying to stick to a budget. The truth is that the term spiritual life is simply a way of referring to one's life, every moment and facet of it, from God's perspective. Another way of saying it is this. God is not interested in your spiritual life. God is just interested in your life. He intends to redeem it. God's Work of Art One of the great works of art in the Western world is Michelangelo's Pietà, a marble statue of an anguished Mary holding the crucified Christ. Some years ago, a fanatic nationalist rushed upon the masterpiece and began smashing it with a sledgehammer. Although the damage was significant, Vatican artists were able to restore the statue to near-perfect condition. You were created to be a masterpiece of God. Paul writes, For we are God's poema, a word that can mean God's workmanship or even God's work of art. God made you to know oneness with Him and with other human beings. God made you to be co-regent with Him, to fill the earth and subdue it, to have dominion over creation under His reign and with His help. It is the goodness of God's work in creating us that makes